Welcome everyone to Talk Is Cheap, the Fight Against Mediocrity podcast. I'm extremely excited for today's guest, Chris Hartley. Uh, Chris has nearly two decades of new home sales experience in various roles across the industry. In addition, his current role as Vice President of Sales for K. Hovenian Homes in Dallas-Fort Worth, Chris is a certified trainer for the Texas Real Estate Commission, frequent contributor to industry-leading publications, a guest on numerous industry podcasts, and a highly sought-out public speaker. Chris has worked with both public and private home builders across the U.S. Chris has won numerous awards on a local, regional, and national level, including the inaugural Gold Award at Nationals for One to Watch through the National Association of Home Builders. Chris is an active member of the Zillow Builder Advisor Board, as well as a board member for Atlas RTX. Chris is an advocate for the American Cancer Society, being named a three-time corporate hero and as part of the team determination participating in half and full marathons having raised over $200,000 fighting for the cause. Chris' latest adventure is to complete a full Ironman in November of 2021, which he did and completed, which we'll talk about a little bit, as well as complete his children book series that is already receiving national attention. Welcome, Chris, to the show. Thanks. I appreciate it. I love being on here. You know, it's one of those things as we as we did a take one for this that uh, my speaker buyer profile you know, I had one, uh, I was doing a podcast before for another industry leading um, show and they said, hey, do you have a shorter one? And, you know, at the time I was thinking, well, I guess I can make a shorter one. But then it really it hit me that I was like, you know what? I hit 41 years of age this year. And after I was 40, I, I kind of looked back on my career and all of those awards that I went for was really for the ego. And the older I get, the more I realize that it's not about the ego. It's just about betterment. It's about being better and it's about achieving all that you can. The awards, the awards may get me on a publication and may get me a speaking opportunity, whatever it may be. But it was one of those eye-opening moments when she asked me to cut out all of the awards that I had gotten, shorten it up, that I realized that they don't really matter much. Although they were nice to win, they don't, in the scheme of things, mean too much. Yeah. I mean, the cool, the coolest thing about you is if you're in home building anywhere close to it, you know Chris Hartley. He's just um, always helping people, always serving, always um, contributing to different things. Basically, if you bought a new home in the U.S., you probably have heard of Chris Hartley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows you, so... That's one of the things that I admire. We met because um, anytime, so this was like two and a half, three years ago when I first got into new construction sales. And anytime I do anything like that, any jumps into new industries, I just find the people who know the most and I just follow them and try to learn from them. And so you were one of those people. And then I reached out to you to see if I could pick your brain on some stuff. And you were gracious enough. We hopped on a call. And then you referred me to the Jeff Shore Roundtable, which um, is just coming to a close. So I um, really appreciate knowing you and getting to know you over the past year or so. Yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of yours too. And it's one of those things that I do get a lot of people that will reach out via LinkedIn because that is the only social media I've ever had. I've never had Facebook. It's just not something that I'm into. And they'll reach out and say, hey, do you mind if I get 30 minutes of your time, 45 minutes of your time? And I will always find a way to do so. And the reason being is that really when I started making a name for myself in the industry, I would say my early 30s, I too reached out to those that were leading and killing it in the industry and said, hey, can you help me? 
One of those guys being Matt Riley, who is out of the Carolinas. He was a public speaker for a Myers-Barnes event in Virginia Beach. And I heard him speak, I think I was like 34, 35 years of age. And I was just blown away by him. And what I did for you, he did for me. And so it was at that moment that I realized that if I ever, ever had the opportunity to be a quote unquote influencer to anybody, I was going to take the time to do it. And a lot of people say, well, how much money do you make doing this? And I don't make any money doing it, right? I mean, Matt didn't charge me for giving his advice and expertise. I don't feel it's right for me to charge anybody else either. At the end of the day, we're all people. And if you can't help elevate somebody else's game, then really, why are you doing it? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, something that I, well, I mean, there's so many directions we can go, but it truly is cool. You know, um, every time I'm with you and other home builders and anyone else in the home building industry, um, it's very apparent, like everyone knows you, you've been, you've been an influence for a lot of people. And a lot of people listening to this podcast might not be in um, new home sales or maybe in a different industry. What would you recommend to anybody who's like, hey, I want to be the, the Chris Hartley of my industry and, and be a leader and be a public speaker and, and influence others? What would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I feel like what I'm doing for a home building, anybody can do in their industry. And the first thing that you need to do with that is be confident enough to put yourself out there. So when I started feeling confident enough in myself, really what it was is I attended the International Builder Show. So I would highly encourage you to go to as many industry events as you can go to. And I was sitting back there and I was watching all of these speakers on stage. And some of them were really great. A lot of them were not. And so I was sitting there thinking, you know what? I have just as much to share, if not more, if I had the courage in myself to stand up and speak. And so I had the opportunity to speak in 2018 at the Builder Show. I had really good marks when I scored. And then the very next year, I put myself out there and I had a maximum of four speaking opportunities, which is, which is really rare to have that opportunity to speak four times at the Builder Show because they do have so many different submissions and it takes so few. And really what it was is it was just me being confident in what I do. So I would say the, the first suggestion is getting yourself out there. Second suggestion, being confident, right? You can't go out there and try to be an influencer in something that you know nothing about. So you need to be the expert in your industry, or at least make yourself the expert in something specialized in your industry. And then once you're there, you need to be genuinely curious to everybody that's around you. So when people come up to talk to me, I love it. I don't ever see it as a nuisance. And here's what I will say, because the International Builder Show was last week in Orlando, and there are some influencers in the industry that when people come up to them to introduce themselves, it's almost like they do what they can to get away from those people as quick as they can. And it's because they're looking for the next biggest client to land or the next speaking opportunity to get or whatever it may be. Whereas, you know, I have a job, so that's, that's not really my mode of operation on there. I'm not looking for the next speaking gig or the next client to close. So I want to give as much of myself as I can to somebody, which is, I, I believe why I have so many people that come ask me, I'm not trying to sell them anything. So don't come off as that person that is selling anything, come off as that person that's authentic and giving of themselves to others. And then on the flip side, don't be arrogant enough to believe that you know everything. Like I go into that builder show wanting to learn as much as I can from as many people as I can, whether I know who the speaker is or not. Because like me back six, seven years ago, 
when people started listening to me, nobody knew who I was, but I had something to say. So who is the next person that's got something to say that's going to say something that's just incredibly brilliant that I want to learn from? And then from there, make as many connections between people as you can. You know, uh, a good friend of mine, Chad Sanchagran, did this growth cannonball movement, and he was talking about what is your superpower? Well, my superpower is that I'm a connector. So what I want to do is as soon as I find out what somebody is interested in or if they're looking for something to specialize in or whatever it may be, I look back on my Rolodex, you know, I can't, maybe that ages me a little bit. Or if I look in my phone and say, who can I connect this person to, to try to build a friendship or a connection that doesn't do anything for me personally. I'm not monetizing that connection, but I'm helping that person become a better version of themselves. And I believe that if we are all the best version of ourselves that we can be, it's going to just be a better world in general. I mean, why don't we want to be the best home building industry in the world or the best car salesman in the world or you name it, whatever it may be that you're doing, you should strive to be the absolute best at it. And that's working and connecting with others. Yeah. It's the fight against mediocrity. You want to be the best. You want to fight um, just being complacent. Um, every, everything you said, have you read the book, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg? I have. Uh-huh. Yep. It's like he had a, had a podcast saying, and everything. You what? I said he had a podcast and everything. So yeah, so good. Absolutely. Yeah. And everything that you said reminded me of that, you know, the more you give, the more value you provide in life, the better off you are. And I know you're saying like, it's, it's, uh, I think for you, all the value that you provide and all the connections that you provide make you invaluable for whoever you're working with, whatever, whatever company or whatever organization, like you become invaluable to them because Mm -hmm. of that. And what was really impressive is I would have guessed, you know, you've been connecting for 20 years with, with all these people, you know, since you were 20 years old, but it's crazy that this has just happened in the last six to seven years. You know, and really where that comes from is, and so you're right, it is, so I'm 41 years of age. Um, I started speaking in 2018. So what is that? Five years now. So when I was 35, 36. So, you know, later in my career, absolutely. I look back on it. I wish I would have had more confidence in myself to do it earlier. And I think that sometimes is the biggest struggle with people is that they don't believe in themselves enough to put themselves out there or do they don't feel like they have a voice that needs to be heard. And then they just silence themselves. Well, how many people out there are silencing themselves when inside they're just screaming to share genius information? right? So whether it be speaking in front of thousands of people, which I have done, or speaking in front of a panel uh, with 20 people in the audience, whatever it is, start somewhere and start with believing in in who you are and believing that what you know and your knowledge needs to be shared with others. Yeah. And everyone's got something to share. And, you know, every phase in life, you're learning new things that you can share with others. That's, I love hearing people's stories because you can learn something from everybody you connect with. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to speaking too, it's, you know, I started speaking about home building, but I would say the majority of my speaking opportunities I have today have nothing to do with home building at all. It was almost like it was a platform for me to be able to speak about the things that are heavy on my heart or are important to me. And so when you're looking at this, you can say, well, you know, I sell safety valves for a living. What do I have to share? 
And I use that as an example because I have a friend who sells safety valves for a living and he is a phenomenal financial mind. And he teaches at the local community college making $25 a class because he wants to better the world around him and because he's a great and powerful motivator and connector. So that's a way that he found, yes, there may not be a lot of opportunities to speak in safety valve sales seminars, right? But he doesn't want that to limit himself. So for me, I'm trying to branch out of home building, so to, so to speak, and speak at leadership conferences that have nothing to do with my industry. But what I decide to speak on are things that I personally am not good at. So for instance, I started speaking in San Diego. I had an opportunity to speak at a conference and the topic that I picked was self-reflection. And what that was is it was a fear that I was not good enough to be in front of 400 people that day that I was speaking to. But in reality, of the 400 people that I was speaking to, most of them probably didn't feel like they were good enough to be in that particular conference to start with. So it's just getting rid of the fear that we all have inside of us that we're not good enough. And another topic that I speak on is um, motivational mindset. I speak on being present. I speak on finding your truth. All things that I've personally struggled with, whether it's as being a dad or um, at work or in friendships, relationships, whatever it is. And then I become highly addicted to the topic. I research it. I study it. And then what you should do is obviously teach it. So when I'm standing up there speaking to people or when I'm being asked to do a keynote speaking opportunity, I generally ask the person that's hiring me, do you want me to make the audience laugh or do you want me to make them cry? Because I'm pretty good at doing both and hitting somebody's emotions in those two manners, laughing or crying, the story is going to stick. So when I'm getting up there on stage, I can really turn it in either direction. But what I'm hoping to do is make an imprint on that particular person in the audience to know that I, by all means, am not the expert in any of those things, but I have a unique talent to speak about very common things in an uncommon way that people are going to remember them. And wow, that's incredible. I, I would have never guessed that you choose topics that are your weaknesses to speak on. That's incredible. Um, and obviously you're a great storyteller and a great engager with people, but what advice would you have for people who are just getting into speaking, public speaking, as far as engaging an audience? You know, the, the best thing that I had ever heard, and my buddy Chad Sanchegrand said this, walk around with your phone always on you, which all of us are doing, and in your Evernote app, you are writing down the stories of things that happened to you during the day, because okay. strong, powerful public speakers are really great storytellers, and a lot yeah. of things that happen to us in our life are really great stories. We just have to put them together with the message that we learned to share it. So if you're really looking for a speaking topic that's going on, just look back on your day. Start documenting the funny things that happened to you or the things that you see or the things that just make you stop and think, wow, that was really interesting because if it was interesting to you, strong chance it was interesting to somebody else as well. Yeah, I love how simple that is. That's um, right. It's so simple. That's awesome. Um, did you speak at this last home builders conference? You did, right? I did. I, I spoke twice. I spoke about, uh, managing your backlog, which is really managing the unpredictable. And then the other thing that I spoke about was success disease, which at least in my industry, that's something that's very common right now. And probably a lot of industries too. And success disease is just the belief that you cannot 
be happy where you are, you know, where you're at because you're so focused on everything in front of you, right? So you're, you're really struggling with becoming mediocre, right? You're, you're struggling with that because you're, you're just so future focused. And really with that, with the success disease, we're seeing a lot in our industry where it's just so easy for salespeople to make money right now um, that they're just becoming very lazy in, in everything that they do. Well, what they're, what they're falling victim to there is complacency, right? And so when the market turns or the world shifts and it's more difficult now, how are they going to be able to drag themselves out of that? Well, it's going to be tough for them because they haven't been practicing what they know they should be practicing. They've been stuck in their own disease of success and not becoming better. Yeah. Nothing kills success like success. Right. So true. So true. What's the, what was the, the invitation you made as far as, Hey, this is how you overcome it. Doing the things that you know you need to be doing. Is that the biggest thing? You know, the biggest thing with that is just not forgetting the why behind why you are doing things, right? Simon Sinek wrote the most powerful book, which was Start With Why. And so many different reiterations of that have come about. And really it's such an easy to topic to talk about because if you tr truly understand somebody's motivation behind why they do things, as a manager, as a leader, you can help keep those things in the forefront, right? You gotta recognize that although somebody may be very successful in today or they may be complacent in what they are today, they still have motivators in life so what are you going to do to motivate them to get out of that rut or that funk that they're currently in to strive to be even better? Because so many people look at it and let's say it's a dollar amount. Let's say you're used to making $100,000 for five years of your life. And then all of a sudden you make 150 or 200,000 and you get comfortable with that. And then that's your new excitement. Well, why not be that person that's making 100, 150 and say, I'm going to make 500,000. Too many people are okay with hitting a certain threshold and then stopping and not pushing themselves to be greater. And, you know, I look at this as, as something that I have with my own fitness. So, you know, I talked about the fact that we're going to be doing the Salt Lake City Marathon together. And in 2016, my first, 2015, my first daughter was born. She was born in August and I was almost 60 pounds heavier than what I am today. And I looked at that as something that needed to change because I'm in an industry that is not difficult, but it is stressful. And my father had a heart attack in his early forties. I was approaching forties. And I said, you know what? I'm going to hit that heart attack a heck of a lot sooner than what he did. Now he's still living and he's doing great. And he overcame that, but I didn't even want to fall to that. So I had told myself, I need to start getting into running or getting into physical activity. And I set some crazy goals along the way. Now, fast forward to November of this last year, I completed an Ironman. And this is 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of biking, and 26.2 miles of running, all in, one, all in one day, under 17 hours. And I hired a coach to do it because I don't know how to run an Ironman. I, I wasn't a swimmer. I wasn't a biker. I had to go buy a bike, all this stuff. I can run, but that was about it. And when I was training for this Ironman, I kept thinking in my head, it was about getting better every single day because you just can't take the decision to go compete in Ironman and then the next day go do it. Very few people, I'm sure somebody could do it. But maybe David Goggins, but that's it. No. Yeah. I mean, that guy would just do all of them, right? But so it's it's a process along the way. And so I had a coach, I was training 15, 20 hours a week, and it was a lot of activity. Well, 
I had a, I had a mindset that I couldn't just do this for me. I had to do it for a greater cause. And this is, this ties back into the salesperson, the success disease. It falls back under the why, you know, part of my speaker bio is that I raised over $200,000 for the American cancer society. Well, that's fact because I've lost eight family members to cancer. So when I was making the, the goal to do an Ironman, I had set it aside that I was going to do this for a special cause. And a friend of mine named Susan Ramirez, who's the CEO of the National Angels, which is a foster care organization, which is absolutely incredible, said, hey, we would really love it if you would wear our logo and compete in the Ironman and raise money for the National Angels at the same time. Would you be willing to do that? Well, absolutely. Because it gave me a why minus just being healthy or trying to achieve something for my ego behind achieving the Ironman. And so I had signed up for this. I had raised $11,500 and it was five days because I always choose to do my, my fundraising in a short amount of time. I've been more successful that way. But I was now doing something for something far greater than myself. If it was just for me, if it was just for the ego of completing the Ironman, I would not have com competed or completed it. But because it was for a greater good, a greater purpose, a greater cause, I, I completed that Ironman. And I had a lot of support and a lot of love around me to do so. But what it was is I had to find a why behind finishing. My why was this amazing charity. Just like a salesperson has to find a why behind not falling into complacency. What ultimately are you trying to do? It's probably make your life better, make your children's life better, make your family's life better, go on a vacation, have a nicer house, whatever it may be. As a leader or a manager of people, you have to uncover the why and not let your team fall into the success complacency or success disease that they have and continue to push them to find new heights that they can go. When I completed that Ironman, my friend Chad said to me, what was the lesson learned in this, in this experience? Because if you didn't learn anything in the 16 hours it took you to complete it, it was all for none. And I said, you know, Chad, I said, the best lesson I learned is that there is literally nothing in life that I cannot accomplish because I now have proven to myself that I can accomplish anything. You know, I, I completed a, one of the most difficult physical challenges that they're out there in on the earth today. And I did it with really only training for about half of what I should have done. But my mind was strong enough to tell me that I could get through it if I had a greater cause for hitting that finish line. My greater cause was the national angels. Again, if it was my ego, I wouldn't have finished. So the message that I'm, that I'm shooting out for here is, is find your cause, find the greater good, find your national angels to get you to that finish line and never stop trying to be a better version of yourself. Because I wake up every day knowing that I have an opportunity to be better today than what I was yesterday. Wow, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I, it reminds me a lot of Viktor Frankl's book, um, what is it called? The Meaning of Life? I believe Anyways, so. When he talks about in the concentration camps, when he could see people lose their purpose or lose their why. And that's when, when they immediately were, you know, off the deep end. And um, that's powerful. That, wow. Anyone who's listening to this, go back and listen to that again. Do you have a why that you're running the, so I don't know if, if you guys didn't hear, Chris and I are running the Salt Lake Marathon in April together. My first marathon, Chris has done several, but um do you have something you're running uh, a purpose behind that one? Yeah. You know, so I, I will always run more than likely always run for the national angels now, just because I am such a fan of what that organization stands for. 
you know, their tagline is that every child deserves a parent. And being a father of two little girls, a three-year-old and a six-year-old, I couldn't imagine life without them. And I couldn't imagine a child growing up without having the full love from a parent or parents, right? They have to have a tremendous amount of love and belief in them because when people believe in you as a kid, it allows you to become who you are. The statistics behind children that get stuck in the foster care organization that don't get the chance to be adopted are extremely sad. And it's, it's a really sad opportunity when there's so many people out there that want children that, you know, there are children that are not being adopted and loved the way that they should. So, you know, having two little girls, it's just something that I'm passionate about. Maybe when they get older, I'll, I'll think it's something different, but, you know, even the children's book series that I'm, that I'm working on right now, a portion of the proceeds for that book go towards the National Angels, because how could you write a children's book and not give a portion of the profits back to a children's organization? It just wouldn't make much sense. Yeah. What are the children's books about? So um, the, the gist of it is uh, words of wisdom from dads to their daughters. And being that I have two little girls, it's something that I'm very passionate about and making sure that they grow up to be strong, powerful women. And, you know, they have a very strong, powerful mom. They have a very strong, powerful aunt. Um, I'm obsessed with powerful women in general. I just am a huge fan of it. And my friend Chad, who's got twin daughters that are now 17, was doing the, hey, why does daddy love you to his daughters? Uh, and he did this way back when they were very little. And he said, you know, as soon as Harper, which is my oldest, she's six back when she was three, as soon as she was able to speak, you need to ask her the question is, why does daddy love you? And Harper today at the age of six can tell you it's because I'm strong, powerful, brave, kind, and a great big sister. You know, and, and what she was doing there is she now knows at the age of six what it means to be a strong woman, what it means to be powerful, what it means to be brave. And, you know, obviously when I taught her this at the age of three, she didn't know what those words were, but she knew that daddy loved her for all things other than how beautiful she was. You know, far too often, and I have an absolutely gorgeous sister, she's stunning, and she does very, very well in the home building industry as well. But it's almost like having beauty as a woman makes people believe that you can't be all things other than your beauty. I don't want my little girls to believe that how they look has anything to do with where they are, how people feel about them. And it's funny because I actually asked my little girl two nights ago, I said, hey, why does daddy love you? And she said, because I'm beautiful. And I said, hold on a second. I said, you know, that's not one of them. I said, yes, you are absolutely beautiful, but that is not why dad loves you. And she laughed and she said, I know, I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. So <laughs> no, it's just, it's cute. It's absolutely fun. That is so adorable. Um, that's awesome, man. I'm super excited. When is it going to come out? So I'm shooting to have the first one. So it's a series of uh, short stories put into a hardbound book. Uh, the goal is to have the first one out on Publicizer uh, in May. So Publicizer is like Kickstarter for books. Okay. And the idea there is that we will get a thousand books pre-sold and then we'll have children's publishers actually fight for us is, is the goal. Rather than just finding one and uh, going for that, we're going to see what we can get out of it. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. Um, dude, I'm excited for that. I just... I, I'm also passionate about the adoption process. We, my wife and I just adopted a little boy. He's two weeks old and, and uh, being a, being a father, it's powerful. So i um, grateful for all that you do in regards to that. I think it's so noble that you guys have done that and meeting your wife not long ago, a couple of months ago, you guys are an incredible couple and you got a lot of love. You can tell there's a lot of love between the two of you, but you got a lot of love to give too. So 
you know, when I, when I found that out, I was very touched and moved because that's really what the National Angels are trying to do is they're trying to help adoption agency or foster care community find the children to get adopted because you have a lot of love to give. And it's such an awesome thing that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, I have just a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll try to end it here before 11. But what if for those who obviously want to follow you, I know everyone's inspired from your words today. Is the best way to do that on LinkedIn or how else would you uh, suggest yeah, that they follow LinkedIn is the only way to find me. So, you know, you just have to look up Chris Hartley, find me on there. Um, you know, the story of why I don't have Facebook is fairly simple. You know, and this is going to age myself, but since I've already told you I'm 41, it's okay. You know, I had moved away from Kansas City. I've always been in home building since 2003. I got a school that's all I've known to do. And I had an awesome opportunity to go open up a brand new division of a very well-respected um, privately owned home builder in Denver, Colorado. So I moved away from Kansas City. You know, that's where I went to high school. I consider that to be home. Kansas City is one of those places that very few people ever leave because it's a great place to raise a family. It's a great place to grow up. But I knew if I wanted to become the person that I always knew I could become, I needed to expand and get out. Well, I moved to Denver, Colorado in 2007 when MySpace was still really popular. And MySpace used to have this field where you can arrange your top 10 friends. And what I would do every night when I got home from work or even on work at the computer is I would sit there and I would watch the lives of my friends. And I would see what they were up to and see the pictures they were posting. And I started to fall in this really deep depression of the fact that I never should have left Kansas. Like, why did I leave? All of my friends are there. And I felt really, really bad for myself. And that's when I started putting on the weight. That's when I started really just falling into this really deep funk of something that I was not happy with. Well, as I mentioned, I have a really amazing younger sister. She's a year and a half younger. And she reached out to me and she said, hey, only losers are on MySpace. You need to get on Facebook. And I was like, well, what is Facebook? And then she tried to explain it to me. I said, it sounds a lot like MySpace. And she goes, well, nobody's on MySpace anymore. So you might as well get off of it. And I made a decision at that moment to delete my MySpace account. Well, I'm sure it's probably still there, but I took it off my desktop, um, stopped logging into it. And I never got on Facebook. And it was the greatest thing in the world that had ever happened to me because I was not living this life of trying to prove that something was going on in my life that was not. And I did get on Instagram for about two weeks, probably about six months ago. And I saw that that was very similar. And I started yeah. seeing people's lives unfold in a manner that I knew was not accurate to how they were actually living. And I felt that I couldn't do that myself. I'm far from perfect. I have a lot of flaws. I have a lot of issues. I have a lot of things that happen in my life that I wish didn't necessarily happen, just like we all do. But I wasn't comfortable putting myself out there in a manner in which was being portrayed that it was not. Now, not to say that Facebook is bad and Instagram is bad and any of those things are bad. I understand the meaning behind them. For me, it's just not for me. So, you know, I guess I post positive things on LinkedIn all the time and I may be considered a one percenter on LinkedIn or an influencer on LinkedIn, but it's trying to be positive things. It's not trying to necessarily portray this is my life as perfection because my life is far from it. Yeah, no, I... Yeah, no, then nothing else needed to be said there. I totally agree with you on that. So, um, and then last question, it's my favorite question to ask, and I'm excited to hear your answer. What does the fight against mediocrity mean to you, Chris? I am so obsessed with the fact that you have that and you have that as your book. Um, to me, it's about, it's the difference between being uh, complacent and content. Right. I, I struggled with this and I was uh, talking to a psychiatrist. It was a couple of years ago and she said, you have a problem with being content. 
And I got really upset with that. And I said, no, I don't. Who, who would ever want to be content? And you should always be striving for more in life and so on and so forth. And she goes, no, 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 no. You have complacency screwed up with contentment. And I said, really? And so I went back, I looked up the two words and she was absolutely right. You know, I, I was afraid of complacency, but contentment is being happy with where you're at in the given moment of your life, right? You are probably ecstatic in your life today because you just had a book coming out. You just adopted a little boy that's two weeks old. You have a phenomenal relationship with your wife. Life is really good. You are very content in the moment, but you are complacent. You want to do more. I mean, the whole fight against mediocrity was born because you want to be better every single day. To me, I am very anti-complacent. Um, you know, I want to always strive for more, but I, it is a daily struggle for me to be content. And I need to first learn to be content and then go after everything else that I want to go after. So for me, fight against mediocrity, oh man, it is it is a solid, solid message. And I'm obsessed with it for you because to me, it's just about being the best version of yourself that you can be every day. And we are very gifted when we wake up every morning that we get the chance of doing something over. Because one of my favorite sayings is be better today than what you were yesterday. And sometimes I go to bed at night and I think, you know what? I'm glad there's tomorrow. Yeah. Wise words from an amazing person. Thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show today. Um, very grateful to know you and be your friend. Uh, it's my pleasure to know you and to be your friend as well.